Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome to our series on diversity and dementia. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. This series is generously brought to you uh, in support, um, with the support of Isai, a human healthcare company. Today, I'm really excited to have with us Lenora Higginbotham. She uh, is a assistant professor at Emory University um, in neuroscience, specializing in studying um, dementia due to a personal experience which inspired her to uh, take up a career in neurology. So Lenora, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with your grandmother because that's really where your journey with, with um, I should say it's Parkinson's, but neurodegeneration um, began. Tell us a little bit about um, your grandmother's story. Yeah, so um, my grandmother, I believe went through a long period of, of not being diagnosed with Parkinson's, but, um, and we weren't quite sure what was going on, but in her, around in her seventies, um, she started slowing down quite a bit. Um, you know, looking back on it, there were all these signs that it was probably something more than the arthritis um, that we attributed it to. She had a car accident at one point we thought, okay, maybe that kind of um, also worsen things. But, you know, she would just take a really long time to get up very slow. She used to ask us to count um, to 10 before she could do certain things, like walk to one side of the room or get up. Um, she also would have to stand there and tell her foot to move. Um, so she would get stuck at times. And it's, um, you know, looking back, it's just, I think she, you know, she just had a long period of of, of just us not knowing what was going on. But then um, later on in her disease, um, particularly after moving in with family and moving down to Atlanta, she was ultimately diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, and later dementia, it, right? Which is common with Parkinson's. Yeah, and later yeah. she develops dementia. And um, I, I was just gonna say that one um, key aspect, you know, I was talking with a family member about it the other day is that she didn't have tremor which I think, you know, um, it's not really understood sometimes that up to a third of Parkinson's patients don't have tremors. So you don't have to have tremor to, to have this diagnosis. Um, but I think when she was put on levodopa, it was clear she had an improvement. She developed dyskinesia. So, I, you know, she ultimately did receive a diagnosis. How many years ago was that when she was diagnosed? Oh, man. So um, I was probably right in between college and med school. So um, that was probably around 
the late like 2008, 2009, perhaps somewhere around there. So how hard was it for your family to get a diagnosis? I mean, was there, you know, we hear stories um, often where, you know, especially what you're saying is like, she didn't have obvious tremors, right? So no one would mm-hmm. automatically think, oh, it's Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience um, as a family getting a diagnosis? You know, I was just talking with my my aunt the other day. My grandmother moved in with her after they lived in New Orleans. So, you know, I think part of it is also none of us lived with them, you know, for a long time until Katrina. And then they moved in with my um with my aunt and my aunt was noticing how just slow she was and my aunt reminded me the other day that um she actually asked the geriatrician if something um like levodopa or dopamine would help because she just noticed how slow she was and so um they tried the carbidopa levodopa and at that point I wasn't at those visits but um reportedly you know per my aunt it was just very dramatic the response and then that kind of kind of prompted um, her to go see a neurologist and she was followed in the emory movement disorders clinic for quite a while so so now and you have since um become um you're you're a researcher in neurology um and tell us a little bit about that decision i was that directly related to your grandmother I think it was definitely a big part of it towards the end of my med school career when I was trying to decide what to do. My grandmother was struggling more and more with cognitive decline. Um, She had a hospitalization where she became frankly delirious and I vividly remember going through that around the time I was trying to decide what specialty to go into in med school. Um, So it was definitely a big part of the decision and motivating part. I would also say um, around that time, I did a rotation um, in our geriatric psychiatry unit, which um, interestingly had a lot of dementia patients and quite a few um, of them were movement disorders patients as well. And I was just struck by how different everybody was, yet they carried some of the same diagnoses, how personal um, you know, psychosis could be one person's hallucinations don't look like another's. And how these patients really reminded me a lot of of my grandmother and um, I just really liked working with them. And so that was that rotation kind of solidified it. And then I started doing research in med school, which then kind of brought the whole picture together um, in Alzheimer's disease. Um, And I just realized I really liked um, neurodegeneration and biomarkers. And so I guess, you know, putting all those pieces together, it's probably no surprise that now I do movement disorders. I specialize in researching Lewy body dementia and focusing on biomarkers for that disorder. So I think it, you know, definitely she was a big piece of the puzzle. And um, and one of your, your efforts um, as we feature on being patient um, is to really um, get more African-Americans involved in research because we know that they are, you know, uh, the uh, African-Americans, Latinos are more, will end up with higher percentage of um, cases of dementia. Um, and tell us a little bit about that effort. Um, first, let's talk about, you know, Historically, um, 
there have there hasn't been as many minorities um, that we need in research to really piece the puzzle together. Um, tell us a little bit about why you think that is, and and, and then we can talk about you know how, what you're doing and how you're inspiring people uh, to convince them to that research um, you know to be a part of research. Yeah, I mean, I think minority populations. There's probably a, a variety of factors. One, um, there's there's definitely um, not in terms of disparities. There's not the same access to healthcare, which can be cross section with socioeconomic um, factors as well. But um, that uh, culturally, there may not be the same trust in research, um, the same um, seeking out of research opportunities as well among. Um, minority populations um, in general, given our history in the country. And so um, I think, you know, and then there's just on top of that um, in terms of access and then, you know, mistrust, there may also just be a lack of knowledge in certain um, populations or certain regions, um, communities of, of these disorders, you know, I, um, I'm not entirely sure, you know, our, our family is African American educated, but we just did not have the knowledge, you know, to, to really seek out, I think there's a lot more opportunities now with internet and things like this, but um, we just didn't have the knowledge base, but somebody has to, you know, confer that knowledge to you, somebody has to go out and, um, you know, educate the community. So I think um, those are some, some reasons why you know, African-Americans are just historically not um, participating as much in neurodegenerative research. And Emory has, you know, we, we live in Atlanta. This city is full of minorities. And yet we were having, we noticed we were just having a, a similar issue. We just couldn't get, particularly within our Alzheimer's disease research center, which does, you know, collects huge numbers every year of of dementia patients, we just were not getting African Americans and our, our group did not look like our city, you know, our population. And so this was years ago, um, we established the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, which is, I work through there to recruit Lewy body dementia patients. We established a minority engagement core. Um, it's run by an excellent group of, of people, including Monica Parker, who heads it, um, they have done a lot of community outreach. Um, they establish connections with, um, you know, um, certain populations, influential uh, minority populations in the city, uh, to try to get knowledge out there about research and diseases, um, neurodegenerative diseases. And you know, their goal was to recruit fifty percent of fifty percent uh, African Americans, you know, each year, like work to a fifty percent split. And um, as I recall, we are either very near that for Alzheimer's disease, or or um, have met that at least in the last year or two. Um, so we've definitely increased um, our African American participation quite a bit. We still have a little ways to go because. Um, some of those patients are maybe not necessarily participating in every aspect, such as brain donation, things like that. So I think that, and certain biospecimen collection, but I think, you know, that just requires, you know, more knowledge, more community outreach. Um, and so I work closely with the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. So a lot of what I'm doing with Lewy body disease is carried out through the same, you know, in the same um, 
uh, collaboration with the Minority Engagement Forum. We're just you, we're just working really to have those um, that representation. How how much is stigma around um, speaking of um, a, a neurodegenerative disease? Um, do you run into that um, when you speak to patients or when you're trying to recruit? Um, you know, I. Um, is it difficult to really talk about a neurodegenerative disease? I mean, a lot of people just, you know, don't want to talk about it because if you don't talk about it, it's not really there. Um, have you found that this is um, a stigma or an issue? I don't know. In terms of the diversity thing um, across minorities, I don't necessarily find that it's harder among minorities or any particular type of ethnic population to discuss neurodegeneration or necessarily accept it. I mean, I think that um, there's a certain level of resistance or denial or that's a little bit natural, <laughs> like among families that you encounter every now and then, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's just one group of patients or I see it more among one ethnicity versus another. Um, I do think it really does help um, to have the time and really explain, because I find that basically a lot of patients may come and out from the community, maybe just in not as knowledgeable areas or, or you know, with specialty centers um, like ours, and um, they may be resistant to a diagnosis of Parkinson's or or anything. And then when you just sit them down, because you often spend about an hour, hour and a half with our first, our first visit, and just explain the disease and all the symptoms and this and that, um, it really does help. But also to explain that in terms of like several of these diseases, like for instance, for Parkinson's disease, there's a lot, there's a lot of symptomatic treatments out there, a lot of hope. Um, a lot of ways that we can make your quality of life better. You know, um, dementia is a lot harder. Um, that's, we don't have the same types of treatments for that. But, you know, I, I think it goes a long way explaining to kind of chip away at that denial a little bit and, and really break it down. From um, a researcher's perspective, um, what does it mean for the equation of searching for, you know, a, a cure, a treatment for um, Alzheimer's disease and other uh, related dementias? Um, what does it mean from your perspective to have a more represented um, community and more diversity within research? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that we're finding are our group actually does proteal mix research, which for those who are not familiar, it, you know, we take samples and we look at a wide range of proteins in a data set. And we kind of compare across individuals, but across diseases, what proteins are changing and how we can use those protein changes to identify people, treat people, et cetera. But what we're finding and a lot of people are finding is that one, there's a lot of individual variability. So even in Parkinson's disease, if you take 100 people with Parkinson's disease, their protein profiles look could vary in a variety of different ways, just based on maybe other diseases they've had, genetic predispositions, age, 
like a variety of things, people can look very different. Same with Alzheimer's disease, right? Um, and we're finding that people just look different even within a disease. Um, we find that ethnicities can look different within a disease, individuals can look different within a disease. And, um, you know, one speculation as to why some of the treatments, you know, haven't been particularly at Alzheimer's disease, which is, you know, at the forefront of treatments, probably ahead of the game um, in terms of like doing these disease modifying treatments than maybe Parkinson's and Lewy bodies. But one reason some of these amyloid treatments or some of these other treatments haven't been just hard hitting successful and maybe all this in, all this variability we're seeing, we call heterogeneity within disease. And so um, in order to really define this full spectrum, we need to measure full protein profiles like we're doing, but we also need a representation of people. <laughs> like, um, you know, we're already finding in some of our big time biomarkers, just like uh, tau in this cerebral finance, Cerebrospinal, a lot of people have probably heard of that, right? We measure that a lot in the clinic. Well, that difference differs between Caucasians and African-Americans. So African-Americans with Alzheimer's disease tend to have lower tau than Caucasians. So in truth, the biomarker tau is a better biomarker for Caucasians than it is for African-Americans. But how do we know that? Oh, only after looking at African-Americans, you know, later on. So, you know, when we're trying to define, you know, these biomarkers and learning how to individually treat people coming up with really effective therapies, really effective means of identifying people. We need to know the full range of variability out there. We need like a full spectrum of, you know, diversity. Yeah, so, um, that's, that's so important. And that's, that was such a great um, explanation of why it really matters to make a difference um, and, and how we are all unique, um, but how diseases present themselves differently in different subsets of population. So tell me, um, just to conclude here, um, did your grandmother know that you were going in into um, neuro neurology and neuroscience? I guess, yes and no. I mean, I, I think, you know, towards, towards the end when I really had decided, I think um, she passed away, unfortunately, in my second year, third year of residency, between second and third year. Um, and so by that time, I think it might have been harder for her to grasp certain things. I know I wasn't, you know, I moved from Atlanta um, to Baltimore at, towards the end there um, to do residency. And I know I didn't talk to her. It was more difficult to talk to her like, like I used to um, in person or on the phone. It was just more difficult. And so I'm not really, and I know she really didn't fully grasp that I went into movement disorders because that was a later decision. But, um, you know, she did get to go to my med school graduation and I know she was just so excited. She probably, I think she wanted all the doc, uh, all the family to be doctors actually. Aww. So, um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure if it completely connected, but. Right. But I mean, that's so wonderful. And, you know, how, how good comes from um, illness or a bad, a sad situation um, for you to continue on this path is really admirable. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, it's, I think there, we, the world needs more uh, researchers like you to inspire others to go into research so that we do indeed understand 
um, neurodegeneration better. Um, and thank you for taking the time to explain the differences that you're seeing too. I found that really interesting. Sure. Well, again, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, if you want to read more about Lenora's uh, story, we are publishing um, an article, a more in-depth um, article on beingpatient.com, where we uh, tell you how she was inspired some, and some of the work that she is doing um, with Louis Body, which is incredibly important. Um, so, Lenora, thank you so much for your time um, and coming on and, and being on um, being patient. We appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T.com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.